Welcome to the FHE Podcast, hosted by Amy and Maddie. We are the Fruity Horny Exmos. Hello, and welcome back to the FHE Podcast. Hi. I'm, <laughs> I'm here with my, my co-host, Amy. Yep. Um, soon to be wife. Soon to be wife in 30 days. Wow. 30 days month. of as of this recording, not as of when this will come out. Yeah. But, yeah. I know. <laughs> oh, who's that? And, oh. Who is that? Oh, it's none other than our good pal Sid. <gasps> Hi, friends. <laughs> Yay, it's, Sid. It's Sid, our friend Sid. Our friend hello, Sid, hello. Um, our first guest on season two, and Sid's debut on the FHE podcast. Paula. Very Hell exciting. Yeah. So, Sid, thanks so much for joining the episode. Will you just give us a little like elevator pitch of your journey out of Mormonism? Very. Sure. Is as he put you on the spot <laughs> as um, simple as you want to say. I have always kind of questioned Mormonism in my life, and I went on an LDS mission to Sao Paulo, Brazil, and served there for 18 months and came home and met my husband, Calvin, mm-hmm. and we were both very in at the time, and then we ended up kind of just fizzling out once 2020 happened and i think for a lot of people it did yeah the pandemic helped get people the fuck out yeah it did and so we kind of realized that the whole thing was just kind of stupid joke yeah it is a joke and so we ended up just not going anymore and for me i actually left before calvin um and for Cal, I think it took about six or seven months to leave after me. Yeah. Um, but now we're both out. We're both happy. We have a girl. Cutie. She's, She's a so cutie. Her name's Millie. But yeah, that's kind of the really, really condensed version yeah. of the story. Yeah, but, for sure. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, there's there's a lot there. There's, there's a lot going on there. <laughs> yeah, we don't have time for that in this that episode. Can be, that can be a separate episode. If, that can be yeah, maybe like episode future. 32. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'm down. Okay. Anyway. Happy to be here. Oh, we're happy that you're here. Yeah, love we are. Oh, we love you. Too. <laughs> anyway. Today we'll be discussing the electroshock therapy at BYU. Yes. Among other things, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Because there's not just there's not okay. just the study. Um so yeah, take it away, Amy. Dead. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for this very special episode. It's episode 30 of the FHE podcast. Isn't that crazy? 30, 30? days? Oh my God. 30, 30 days, 30 episodes? 30, 30. 30, 30. 30, 30. 30. I'm 30. <gasps> <laughs> anyway, um, but this is the 30th episode and I really, we've been teasing it for literally 29 episodes. So <laughs> I'm proud True. that we finally made this happen. Finally. Um, I knew it would take a lot of mental energy, and I didn't really have any for the ba- basically a year. Dun, so, dun, dun. yeah. <laughs> so, and dun. did I really have the mental energy right now? No, no. but I still did it because I wanted you. to. I'm Good proud of for you. you. Thank you, guys. Thanks. So, anyway, I have a lot of information because here's the thing: there's a lot of shit happening at BYU in the 70s. I mean. A lot of shit in general happened, like happens, happens, currently currently happens. That's true. But in this instance, happened. Okay. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) 
I was just saying it's it's continuing. Okay. Anyway, so when you hear people talk about, and I know we very briefly before we started recording, we're talking about how you don't know a lot about the electroshock therapy, but what do, what have you guys heard just like before I get into it? And it's okay if it's really nothing. nothing. Did you know that this happened? Isn't it? I mean, this is just very, no, this is what I've heard. This is a very pedestrian level for for me to hear like where you're at, because it's going to be a lot of info of like what the fuck was going on. And so I'm just curious to see like where you're at now. So I believe it was for um, people in the church would use aversion therapy Mm -hmm. for people who were gay. Yeah. And they would try to shock the gay out of them. Is yeah. that yeah. pretty Essentially, much yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, that's. I feel like that's kind of the, the general gist that people have of what happened with this experiment, study, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that's pretty much. That's all I've ever heard, ever. Yeah. Maddie, anything, anything additional or is that pretty much what you've heard? Um, I mean, yeah, that's pretty much what I've heard. It's it was like specifically gay men, I believe, right? We'll see. I think, yeah, we'll get into it. Yeah. The pe- the people who were in the study were only men. That's okay. correct. I've also heard that it was during the time when Dallin H. Oaks was like the president of BYU, mm. and he like fuck denies him. that this happened. Yeah, fuck that guy. Even though it's like, it did. Yeah, no, that's pretty much what I knew prior to researching this and when i started looking into it more i ended up stumbling upon one of the participants of the study actually and his name's dr john cameron and he was a student back in the 70s he was very closeted and anyway i just randomly found an old email address of his sent him an email said hey don't know if you'd want to talk about this i'd love to hear your story and things like that he responded and we did do an interview. It was back in January. So <laughs> wow. a while ago. Yeah. That's insane. But mm-hmm. it was it was like a very it was like a 30 minute conversation on the phone. Um, and anyway, so I'm not going to like read um, the whole transcript of our call, but I will reference that. And um, but he's just a small part of this episode. I thought mm-hmm. he would be a bigger part, but. It's a fucking, I mean, I kick the goddamn hornet's nest is how it feels. Oh, shit. Like, there's so much there. So anyway, we're going to be talking about the call that we had with one of the participants. But before we even get into that, I think it is important to see what the environment at BYU and within the church in general around this time, because I really think it helps paint a picture of how they got to the point of aversion therapy okay okay have you ever heard of so okay just again we're going to we're going to talk about the electroshock therapy okay the aversion therapy at BYU but we're going to learn a little bit more about what led up to the very charged atmosphere at the time of the experiment at BYU so have you ever heard of the values institute no no Neither had I. So Okay, let's hear it. So prior to the aversion therapy at BYU, there were two quote unquote homosexual purges that took place. Shut up. 
at the school. We're going to talk about the purges at a, in a later episode. Okay. I know your your interest is peaked. I know. <laughs> Same purges. <laughs> yeah, where they got rid of gay students in the school. Basically. Big yikes! Yeah. Like they like expelled them. Sorry, you said later episode. Later episode. Okay, but yes. Okay. Like oh, shit. all the shit that went down, oh, it was God. like, it was intense. That's okay. Horrible. That's insane. I know. But okay. one of the things, um, so before the aversion therapy. There were the purges. In the midst of the second major purge of homosexuals in less than eight years, BYU and church officials grew so alarmed about the on-campus infiltration of the this alleged homosexual ring. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that in 1976, they established the Institute for Studies in Values and Human Behavior on campus. Hereafter, referred to as the Values Institute. Four weeks later, the campus paper publicly announced the formation of the Institute with this Dr. Bergen as the director. Basically, it was really vague as to what the fuck this Institute, this Values Institute was doing. And they were just like, we're going to attempt to harmonize professional concepts with a religious approach to human problems and study the effects of Lack of belief on human behavior, the role of the father in child rearing, and find a new way in the study of man which takes into account that he is an offspring of God. Okay, that's what they put out as what this institute was doing. Spooky. Yeah. Okay. So even though it sounds pretty inoffensive, like the nature of this quote-unquote institute, and the director was a literal doctor, um, like PhD doctor, the true purpose was far more sinister. Okay? Oh my god. And I will obviously, sinister. as per usual, <laughs> we'll put all the sources in the description of this episode. We definitely are referencing a lot from Connell O'Donovan, who is a pretty notorious gay Mormon historian. So a lot of this information is coming from him. So Thank you for the references. Yes. The Values Institute was in fact charged primarily with producing a manuscript which, quote, would set forth significant empirical evidence in support of the church's position on homosexuality. So this institute that they were like, it's just a study of human behavior, blah, blah, blah. Like, you're, we're children of God. Was specifically to be like, no, homosexuality is a sin. That's why this and, institute was created. And they were trying to, like, prove it with empirical yeah, they were trying to, like, literally find legitimate data to prove their claim. Okay? That's insane. Yikes. So, yeah, so this is in 76, okay? The manuscript, again, that they were going to try to produce was funded by church tithing money and would be written for a New York Times type of audience, okay? So it was this doctor in charge of the institute and then this other guy that worked for the LDS social services. And it was approved by at least one general authority. Do you know which one? It, it didn't say. Damn. They're, they're sneaky. Sneaky snakes. Sneaky snakes. That's fucking right. Sneaky snakes. <laughs> anyway. Oh my god. That was... That was surreal. Um, what does this snake say? <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. So, and, and the manuscript was made to appear as though it had no ties at all to the church. 
Okay, so then it would be available as secular evidence to back up the church's anti-gay stance. Holy shit. Okay, so. Holy shit. 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 I know. So the guy, his name is Victor L. Brown Jr. He was the part of this duo trying to make this manuscript that was working for LDS social services. So he reported to the academic vice president in a memo in 1978 that he and the other guy, Dr. Bergen had made a two hour presentation to the presiding bishopric earlier that month on the anti-homosexual activities of the values Institute. And what's really interesting is this Connell O'Donovan guy, the historian that I'm referencing, um, he has like literal copies of these memos where it states the things that the church will outright deny. They'll say, we never did that. We never said that. But there's literal proof. Oh, my God. So they made this presentation in order to secure church funding for the Institute. And again, this was all tithing funds that church members contribute to for humanitarian projects. So when you were contributing to humanitarian projects, it was whatever the fuck the church wanted to do with it. No humanitarian projects, like the amount of money. And that's a whole nother thing that we'll talk about at some point as um, how little they actually give to charity. Anyway, like still. Yeah, that's what humanitarian. I mean, how much money do they have? A shit ton. And how much money do they really give? Not that much. I mean, yeah, they just use it to build temples. Yeah. Which no one's asking for. Anyway. (laughs) So in this presentation. Retweet. Retweet, yeah. In this presentation, they recommended specific steps the church might take in combating homosexuality and other sexual misconduct and affirmed that their basic theme is the truth is that truth lies with the scriptures and the prophets, not with secular data or debate. So. We the scriptures tell us everything. No, the scriptures are literal bullshit. Okay, number one. Again, I'm referencing this presentation, but I'm doing a very brief overview of what I read, which doesn't feel brief, I know. (laughs) But this presentation had two parts. Part one is a review of the means by which the opposition attempts to indoctrinate our people, specifically the fallacious claims in... The pain papers, which is the next thing we'll talk about. Oh my God. The pain papers was also a scandalous thing that happened in the 70s. Yikes. Okay. So oh all God. of this really happened. This institute was created because of the pain papers, which is the next part. Okay. Anyway, so this whole thing was just trying to prove that it's sexual deviance that um, homosexual members of the church exist, basically. That they're, it's just a perversion. And they tried to make a clinically oriented document to be able to say, here, look at this proof of that they made that they made and then tried to appear as though it wasn't made by the church. And so this was made before the first presidency in 78. And after that, it was made before all the general authorities. And last of all, to BYU president, Dallin H. Oaks. So Hmm. all of them heard this study. All of them at the time knew about this values Institute. Okay. So, fuck off, Dallin. You knew about it, you bitch. Yeah. Okay. Damn. <sighs> okay. Then there was another guy that was a part of the Institute that went to a seminar, talked about how basically the role of the father in male homosexuality um, is that if you have a nurturing father, you're not going to become gay. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you guys heard that. Um, if you have a, a good dad, then you won't be gay. So, okay. So he went to this actual, like, clinical seminar that had clinicians from all over the country and went up and gave this presentation about how it's important to include religious doctrine in <laughs> these clinical studies and things like that. That's where they think the curse of homosexuality stems from. Now I know. I know. Now so we know. that was uh, part one of, you know, the the environment at BYU at the time. Yikes. And so this, then, is, this is like this behind is, the scenes. Yeah, this is all like happening before, during, and after the aversion therapy. Okay. Okay, so this is all happening around the same time. Okay. The second part that we're going to talk to you, talk about before the aversion therapy, this one's a lot shorter, is called the pain papers, which we referenced in the first part. Mm-hmm. So the pain papers ended up being the Values Institute's greatest challenge um, because a gay BYU student named Chloe Jenkins, at the same time, more stu- more gay students were on BYU's campus, and eventually they created a group called Affirmation. Um, in mm. 1977. I've heard of this. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't know it. This is where it came from. And this happened after attending an anti-gay lecture by a BYU psychology professor named um, I. Reed Payne, who was a member of the Values Institute and, coincidentally, one of the uh, professors that were a part of the aversion therapy. Okay? Oof. Okay, wait. So explain this again. So you got... You got affirmation. Uh-huh. So affirmation is <laughs> this group of gay BYU students that created a group to try to basically get the church to say, hey, we're here and it's fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, this has been a it's been a thing forever, like a long ass time. So there's affirmation. And one of the people in affirmation was named Chloe Jenkins. He went to a lecture by this BYU psychology professor. Um, so we'll just call him. Reed Payne. Um, and he was a member of the Values Institute and then went on to be a part of the dissertation like mm-hmm. board for the aversion therapy. Okay. Okay. Are you caught up? I think so. It's confusing. So basically, he hates gays. Yes, very much so. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, wait. <clears throat> so, when you say, <laughs> sorry, when you say a member of the Values Institute, like the Institute wasn't something that like students were involved in no. it was just like a little board like mm-hmm. professors of, yeah. of it boring was, people yeah i mean it was like professors from byu i think it was also like general authorities i haven't like gotten a clear idea of how many people were in it mm-hmm. exactly who was in it but given what i have seen it seemed as though they wanted to get medical and mental health professionals to weigh in and basically say that homosexuality is a sin. Okay. So it was in tandem. It was Mormon members who had like who degrees, who had the degrees Mm -hmm. needed and then religious leaders. So that's my understanding of the values Institute. Okay. Perfect. So it's just wanted to just the whole fucking mess. Make sure. Yeah. This is (laughs) like, this is a lot. I know. That's why I know. (laughs) Um, Anyway, the student, after he went to this anti-gay lecture from his BYU psychology professor, he prepared a very thoughtful, comprehensive response to his lecture, initially referred to as the pain papers because of the professor's name, Reed Payne. Mm. Okay. The 
papers written by Cloyd were calling for a well-reasoned dialogue on these issues. And he received editorial help from three friends. And now it's published by Affirmation as a pamphlet called Prologue, I guess. So Hmm. pain papers, prologue, same thing. Jenkins then somehow arranged to have copies of the pain papers mailed out through the church office building mailroom in Salt Lake City um, to all general authorities as though it had originated from the Department of Psychology at BYU. Holy shit. I know. Oh my God. So did he get like excommunicated? I didn't look, I didn't look into that dead. I didn't look into that, but probably. Yeah. I need to know more about this person. Yeah. So what I know, what I did read, he had a friend who worked in the mailroom at the church office building Mm -hmm. and they basically worked together to get this sent out. And so his paper was soon circulating among faculty and administration at both BYU and Ricks College at the time, as well as television and radio stations and newspapers throughout Utah and Idaho, drawing both rebuke and praise from its readers. Oh my God. This was a pretty rough time at the Values Institute. Okay. Clearly. Yeah. They're like, oh, Jesus no. Christ. Uh-huh. Yeah. So the church's reaction was immediate. According to a social services counselor at BYU, the paper caused a real stir at BYU and in the church. Officials in both places are very touchy over it. Um, and the leader of the Institute of the Values Institute wasn't impressed by the paper, calling it a fabrication. Those guys aren't interested in facts. <laughs> It sounds to me like you aren't interested in facts. No, and I'm like, you're the one who has a supposed degree? Mm-mm. No, no, sir. Alan Bergen, bitch. Anyway. I'm dead. <laughs> um, so then after this, the Values Institute and the social services and everything, they were tasked with making a rebuttal to the pain papers. This proved to be difficult. So making the rebuttal proved to be difficult because... Jenkins had actually made several, quote, really good and indisputable points. His figures on the numbers of gays at BYU were accurate. And according to BYU's executive committee, he had used a rather, quote, sophisticated pro-homosexuality platform. So Dr. Bergen of the Values Institute tried to make his rebuttal in 1977, titled it A Reply to Unfounded Assertions Regarding Homosexuality. Mm -hmm. BYU's executive committee immediately hailed it as an excellent paper refuting the major claims of Jenkins. Got whatever. Uh Uh-huh. Despite the excellent paper. Yeah, I'm like, just like, you know, just go jerk each other off in the back room. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Just saying. Anyway, despite this initial optimism, one BYU professor said that Bergen's rebuttal on behalf of the church was so poorly written that it was an embarrassment to all involved. Mm. Oh, that is embarrassing. Can we find really it? Do we have this reply? Uh, I, I can't remember. I probably do. I think okay. Conal O'Donovan's website has it. It has so much information on there. Yeah, I've been wanting to look into more of what he has. It, t- it would take literal weeks. Wow. There's so much on there. That's crazy. That is crazy. Yeah. Okay, so... Following this, Boyd K. Packer decided to deliver his now infamous, quote, to the one speech during a 12-stake fireside at BYU um, since the Values Institute was failing in its mission. Oh, no. So because the rebuttal didn't go well, Boyd K. Packer got together this little speech um, that I'm going to read just a couple quotes from. I'm scared. You should. You should be scared, actually. Oh, no. Um, and he gave this at a 12 stake fireside at BYU again. And um, 
although the entire speech dealt with homosexuality and briefly with transsexuality is what it says, Packer used the word homosexual only once Mm. and then only as an adjective to describe a temporary condition, rejecting it as a noun naming a permanent one. Because he felt that Mormons can very foolishly cause things we are trying to prevent by talking too much about them. Oh no, if we uh-huh. talk about oh, it too much, no. it's going to yeah. happen and it's going to be real. Yeah. We're around the Heaven gates, forbid. we become a gay. Exactly. Dead. Exactly. As, yeah. Yeah. So this is not Packer's only theory about the causes of homosexuality. And causation was vital because for Packer, finding the cause was an essential step in developing a cure. In a 4,000-word speech, Packer gives at least six different, often specious or contradictory causes, and touches upon several others without fleshing them out as fully as the main six. So he just, like, lists off a bunch of random causes for homosexuality. Jesus Christ. Um, Thoroughly confusing both the issues and his audience. However, ultimately, Packer settled on speculation that the cause of homosexuality will turn out to be a very typical form of selfishness. Oh, yeah, that, oh, that makes uh-huh. sense. Yeah, both yeah. y'all are selfish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we you are. You know what? I love it. I would yeah. rather be selfish. Yeah, <laughs> we're keeping our pussies away from the men. <laughs> that's that's pretty fucking that's selfish. Fucking right. Yeah, as we should. <laughs> Hell yeah. Snaps for both of you. <laughs> Just kidding. So this egregious speech was made into an official pamphlet. Um, by the Corporation of the Church, and is currently distributed worldwide for use in counseling gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgendered Mormons. Still? I don't know about... I don't know. But... Okay. I'm not sure. But so this was given in 1978, mm-hmm. which is the same year that the aversion therapy takes place. That This was a big year for the church. Yeah. <laughs> 1978 was also the year that black people could get the priesthood. It was a crazy year. Yeah, this was March 5th, 1978 to the one and it's very dramatic as we know the church loves to be and yeah boyd more like okay wait hold on boyd k packer more like boyd d packer the d stands for dramatic the d stands for d's nuts (laughs) (laughs) never gets old (laughs) it doesn't it's so good it's a classic anyway the reason it was called to the one is because the 99 yeah. Yeah, and the one, you and know, the, one. Oh, the lost sheep. The so, lost sheep. yeah. And he was saying like, because you can, there's only a hundred sheep. Uh oh. <laughs> and one of them goes away. Yeah. And like, that's the gay one. Making it 99. That's the yeah, gay one. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah, it's a gay one. And because then Jesus has to find the sheep. Yeah. Have you guys seen that picture? It's like a realistic one of like the little dirty lamb, and then Jesus is in the background. Running. Oh my god! Yeah, I think I like sent it to you. It was so scary. Did you send it to me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. If little I've seen dirty it. lamb. <laughs> blurry dirty Jesus. Lamb. <laughs> blurry like Jesus scary. in the back, just like running. That's terrifying. Chasing after this little lamb. Like, yeah, because murder. Because Jesus has got to get that lamb back into the fold. You know what I so mean? So he'd be sprinting. Yeah. <laughs> so he be sprinting. <laughs> anyway. So in this in this speech he references Jacob um from the Book of Mormon mm. saying that it grieveth me that I must use so much boldness of speech concerning you before your wives and your children, many of whose feelings are exceedingly tender and chaste and delicate before God, which thing is pleasing unto God. 
but notwithstanding the greatness of the task i must do according to the strict commands of god and tell you concerning your wickedness and abominations in the presence of the pure in heart and the broken heart and under the glance of the piercing eye of the almighty god oh god i, bl- up. I blacked out sorry, yeah. sorry 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 i blacked sorry. out yeah i could tell i sorry. dissociated as you should <laughs> honestly <laughs> um <laughs> I only so, remember the beginning part. That's all you need to know. Okay. That's I only fine. heard notwithstanding. I mean, that's that's all you need to know. <laughs> notwithstanding just immediately <laughs> shuts down. Yeah. God, won't and be it listening. came to pass. I, I passed I away. Did, I don't know. I what, died. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck that was. Anyway. So basically he was just like, I want to talk about this topic. And again, this is all because of the pain papers and the Values Institute really like beefing it with their rebuttal to the pain papers. So he gives this triggering as fuck speech to 12 stakes. And yeah, he says, kind of like I already said, he was like, to introduce it, I must use a word. I will use it one time only. Please notice that I use it as an adjective, not as a noun. I reject it as a noun. To speak to those few, those very few, who may be subject to homosexual temptation. I repeat, I accept that word as an adjective to describe a temporary condition. I reject it as a noun, naming a permanent one. Okay, does he reject it as a noun? I wasn't... I don't I know. I didn't quite yeah, catch no, that. Yeah, that, no, that didn't come across to me, actually. I'm I'm unclear. Sid, do you know, does he reject it as a noun? Do no clue? <laughs> I think he should say it one more time, actually. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I, th- I think so, too. Um, wow. So, okay. anyway, it's... if you talk about it, if you say it, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's, it's fucked up. I, that was the preface. The preface. Oh, my God. That was a lot of info. There's I more. know. So, let's get into... Now we're getting into the aversion the therapy. Gritty. Yeah. We're getting to the meat. The meat. Yeah, sorry. So those were the only quotes that you had from Boyd. I mean, there, I could read so many other ones. Do you want yeah. me to read some more? Yeah, just, just read the whole I wanna, talk. I want to hear like one more quote. Do you want me to read the whole talk? No. Dead. No. Okay. Okay. Let me let me just I'll, look for another quote. Hold on. That'd be like thirty minutes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So here's another quote. There is a reason why we in the church do not talk more openly about the subject. Some matters are best handled very privately. With many things, it is easy, very easy, to cause the very things we are trying to avoid. What? It is easy. (laughs) Very few. Very easy. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us how you really feel, Maddie. That's how I feel. As you should. (laughs) Um, Anger. Yeah. So he says, on one occasion, with a friend of mine, I went to the medical center of a large university to see another friend who was a doctor there. In the waiting room before us was a low table covered with pamphlets describing various diseases. My friend observed, well, there they are. Read enough about it and you'll think you've got it. So the gays? No, no, no. The pamphlets? (laughs) Sorry, sorry. So he was giving an example (laughs) of when he went with his friend to a doctor's office, basically. And... They had all these pamphlets about various diseases, not gay. Okay. I was like, what the fuck? But he's using that as an example of what gay, how gay happens is if you read about it enough, you'll be like, I'm gay. Basically, like a hypochondriac is the same thing as a gay person. I see. Do you get, is that, is that clicking? It it clicked Um, better the second time. Well, there they are. Read about it enough and you'll think you've got it. Do not be misled by those who whisper that it is part of your nature and therefore right for you. That is false doctrine. So, again, that's just a little bit. There's yikes, a whole mess 
whole mess of crap. Okay. Um, I just looked it up because I was curious. The American Psychiatric Association took the diagnosis of homosexuality out of the DSM because it was in the first two editions, and they took it out in 1973. So for anyone who doesn't know what the DSM is, can you explain Yeah, that? I can explain that. It's basically a book that therapists use, psychiatrists use to diagnose people. There's five editions, and homosexuality was in the first two. And they're working on a sixth. Yep. Yeah. Um, anyway, I just just was curious about that. And actually, random side note that I have read before. The only reason they took homosexuality out was because so many people were protesting the fact that it was still in. So they just took it out. Yeah, it wasn't like they did research about it. Yeah, it's not like they believed it. They were just like, you know what? This is like getting in, in the way of us being able to talk about disorders because people are like yelling so much about homosexuality. So we'll take it out. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. random side thought. The DSM sketchy. It is sketchy. I would read more. Maybe we'll do a whole episode just on that that talk. I don't know. Yeah. I TBH mean, weekly. I want to read more quotes because that is. Like, I could read more, but we're doing a version. Yeah. So no, I know we're gonna. I was just like, no, I know. Damn. Just like very briefly reading, I was like, shit. Okay, so. <laughs> we did it, guys. We got to the version therapy of it all. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, so. When I talked back to the beginning, when we talked um, about how we had interviewed one of the participants, um, Dr. Cameron actually sent me the dissertation that the study was included in. So I read the entire dissertation, which is really fucking boring, but I learned <laughs> a lot about what happened. Um, and it actually, I weirdly, it's going to sound counterintuitive, I weirdly understand where they're coming from hmm. from especially like knowing the climate that they're in at BYU it made sense to me why this student for his PhD thought I'm gonna do this for my dissertation to yeah. see if it'll help okay so hmm. I was shocked by that I didn't think that I would feel that way after reading about it um but basically here's a little breakdown about what happened okay so there was a PhD student named Max Ford McBride, um, and he was doing a dissertation, which was completed in the late 70s, under the direction of a BYU psychology professor, D. Eugene Thorne. Also on his dissertation committee was Reed Payne from The Payne Papers. And it's an excellent example of clinical dehumanization practiced by Mormon, quote, therapists. And again, this is coming from Connell O'Donovan's research. In the Mormon worldview, the end certainly justifies the means. Heterosexuality must be attained and maintained at any cost, even if it means using pornography, which the Mormon church is usually vehemently opposed to, and physical torture. <laughs> okay, so, uh, so I'm going to explain oh, more no. about that, but... Under the oversight of his committee chairman, Dr. Thorne, McBride experimented on 14 gay male students to determine if using photographs of nude men and women from Playgirl and Playboy type magazines were helpful in electroshock therapy. What? <laughs> yeah. So let's just show them porn and hope it works. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. The 14 gay BYU students in McBride's study were compared after being, quote, treated on an outpatient basis during 22 sessions of shock therapy. Each of the 22 sessions lasted 50 minutes. 
10 of those minutes were spent in what they called assertive training and the remaining 40 minutes in what they called aversive conditioning. The average duration of the treatment for the men was three months. So they would do this treatment. Um, let's see. I can't remember. I think they would do it like three times a week. They would go for three months to do these. Okay. Um, okay. So the release form that these men required that they were required to sign informed them that quote damage to tissue or organs may occur that they would be looking at, quote, sensitive materials, possibly contrary to their values, i.e. pornography, and that BYU would be released from any responsibility for any damage done to them. <laughs> so the emotional damage? Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> Pretty much. So the long-term effects of the electroshock therapy these men were subjected to has been crippling. So two of these men committed suicide soon after completing this torturous study. Every survivor that Connell O'Donovan had interviewed had suffered lifelong emotional, spiritual, and sometimes physical damage. And Connell O'Donovan, I know, it's literally awful. In 1999, Connell actually interviewed Dr. Cameron, who we interviewed mm -hmm. in 2023. So we, we interviewed him 24 years later, after the fact of when Connell did. He was a 23-year-old BYU student, and he wrote to Connell in 1999 and said, For 22 years now, I've lived with the scars of the experience, unable to articulate a personal suffering and longing that have almost crippled me. I didn't completely come out of the closet until I was 34, and only after much angry, pissed-off therapy. I spent a lot of money just so I could yell at my psychologist and break things in his office for an hour every week for two years. Oh but it was a hell of a lot more fun than Ford McBride in the electrodes. <laughs> Holy shit. That's insane. So that's what he said in 1999. His viewpoint in 2023 is different, um, which we'll talk about. But I want to kind of talk a little bit more about what the study was. Did you say two of them committed suicide? Yeah. I mean, I don't. There's not like proof of that. But from mm -hmm. Connell O'Donovan's research, which is very thorough, mm -hmm. he did say that he had found that two of the men had committed suicide soon after. There was a gay psychology intern at BYU named Roy, and he actually assisted in giving electric shock therapy to fellow gay men in the late 1970s. In an interview for this documentary that someone had done about this, which never actually came out, Damn. still unclear about where it is. This intern gave the following report on his activities and their results. So this is quoting the intern. Okay. So he says, a lot of times BYU security would catch people in compromising positions on campus. Those people would have the choice to either be kicked out of school and have their families notified about what they had done or go through this therapy. And this is, I, I don't know necessarily if this is exactly the same one that Dr. Cameron did or if this is a different one. That part's unclear. But this is what the intern at BYU said. We had quite a few people who were going through it. There were others in the therapy who felt so much guilt for being the way they were or had been promised that if they underwent the therapy, they would be able to marry and have children and they would be turned. Of course, they had to have the desire to change. And if the therapy failed, which it always did, it was their fault for the failure since they didn't have enough desire. Anyway, they would come in usually three times a week. Roy would be there behind a glass one-way mirror and they would be on the other side of it. They had their choice to look at pornographic magazines or watch porn videos. We would tape electrodes to their groin, thigh, chest, and armpits. We had another machine that would monitor their breathing and heart rate. If there was a difference in their heart rate when looking at homosexual pornography, we would turn a dial which would send a current to shock them. If they were a new patient, we would use a very low current. From the reaction that I saw, there were muscle spasms which looked very painful as a result of that. 
After that was over, we would switch the pornography so that I was a man and a woman having sex, and we'd play very soothing music in the background to try to get the mind to relate to that. For the people who had been doing the therapy longer, we turned the voltage way up so you could see actually see burn marks on the skin, and quite often, they would also throw up during the therapy. And then... Roy, the intern, says, this is speculation, but most of the students at BYU probably hadn't even seen pornography before Mm -hmm. because it wasn't as easily accessible back then. Right. Yeah. After undergoing that kind of pain over a number of months, everyone said that they had completely changed. They kept records for as long as the people were at BYU. After they had graduated, there were no records kept to see what kind of success rate they had. The BYU statistics were wrong because the people were lying. They were desperate to get their degree and get out of the situation. They had been blackmailed and blackmailed into the situation in the first place essentially and he also said some people became completely asexual after going through the therapy but no no one was ever changed from gay to straight Mm -hmm. and there were people who committed suicide after the therapy he also said we had three people three different people who hung themselves in the harris fine arts center on byu campus and i've heard of that actually i haven't i haven't heard that yeah so sad let me just jump back to my own description of the study okay so When the study happened, 17 people started, but only 14 people finished the study. And I don't think it's because three people killed themselves. I think a couple people backed out. But I don't have proof of that. Um, So there were two different groups in the experiment. One group would look at either nude videos or pictures and the other one would look at either clothed videos or pictures so basically the whole premise of this experiment was to see if the exposure to pornographic material would aid in the ability to to cure homosexuality to straighten them out dead yeah pretty much <laughs> that's the best joke i've ever said that's not true you said way funnier yeah things. that's said, true yeah but it was funny it was funny so that's to me i was like i didn't really understand previously that that's what the dissertation was about but that's the whole thing it wasn't about if we can turn someone from gay to straight it was about can we use porn to get them to change mm-hmm. from gay to straight. Interesting. Um, okay. Based, While shocking them. I know. It was very scandalous. That's crazy. Yeah. That they, that they had this porn to show them. Yeah. Where did they get it? Yeah. Where did, was it them? <laughs> Dead. They're oh just having God. sex it's right next to them. It's all the like professors <laughs> and their wives. That'd be hysterical the actually. general authorities ew don't ew, ever say that again no that was the worst thing you've ever sorry said. i put that image in your head yeah you Yikes. should be sorry that was sorry. awful anyway so subjects were told to assign a rating to each visual slide and it either had a nude picture for the nude visual cue group or a clothed picture for the clothed one and it would go between men and women and they'd have to rate them one to from one to nine, one being sexual repulsion, five being sexual neutrality, and nine sexual attraction. Following that, the subject was given instruction regarding what they called the phallometric test device, which a big part of the dissertation was regarding how to measure sexual response. Okay, so they had a couple different things that they tried, but ultimately they ended up going with the phallometric test device, which was basically a tube that they would put on their penis to measure any differences that happened. Um, Basically would measure the 
I think it was like the amount of pressure, like air pressure in the tube it's to like see. It's like a ruler. <laughs> Shut up. It's, you're, you're killing me. Seven inches today, boy. <laughs> anyway, so they would get instruction on what the test device was. They were able to fit the apparatus privately and wear it under their clothes. Because God forbid they see your dick, I guess. Not for the, the study. Dick. Not like you're watching oh, porn no. in, in the room. At BYU. Yeah. All participants viewed a series of 30 male slides and 30 female slides. Subjects were told to, quote, fantasize whatever was sexually arousing using the picture as a main stimulus for fantasy development. That was a direct line from the dissertation. Dead. Female slides were shown first and changed to male slides if no measurable arousal was shown. So basically, they would show the women... And if no changes to the penis happen, they would change it to the man, see the difference, and then they would get shocked. And then a big part of it, too, was that there was like a whole thing where they were describing the different levels of shock. And there were some people in the study who would turn the shock up like the voltage really high because they were so desperate for it to work. And um, (sighs) did it work? No. Okay. No, it didn't. That's so that's just so like sad. a little bit more of like the actual the study itself. The actual study yeah. itself. In the late 1970s, do you guys have you guys ever heard of Carol Lynn Pearson? She's a famous Mormon poet. No. Okay. No. That's fair. I uh, the name sounded familiar, but I didn't really know much about her. But she was a famous Mormon poet whose husband Gerald Pearson was gay, and she met one of Gerald's gay friends at BYU named Sam. Sam told Carol that or carolyn that they strapped me in a chair and attached wires to me then they showed me porno movies of men and sexual activity when i got turned on they gave me a shock at first they just shocked his hands after that they added my forearms and then my calves and thighs that was when it started that's when they started uh, cranking up the voltage i had to go in two or three times a week only it didn't work all i wanted was to not touch anybody not to be with anybody i felt like i was being turned into a zombie i would walk down the street and be freaked out by everyone the idea of touching anyone even my family made me sick after enduring several quote treatments sam started to question his participation in his own torture i made myself walk up those steps and go into that building and sit down in that chair and take the shocks until i gave up there were burns on my arms but Inside, there was nothing different. Nothing. Just more pain. Sam left and never went back. I mean, good thing he never went back. I know. Yeah. I know. My God. I know. Later, Sam told Gerald and Carolyn Pearson about another gay BYU student named John who had committed suicide after going through electric shock treatments at BYU. After leaving BYU, both Sam and John had decided to move to L.A. together, although just as friends, not lovers. Sam says we were going to drop everything and go make a new life. John told that to the general authority that was on his case, and the man told him that he'd be better off at the bottom of the Great Salt Lake with a millstone tied around his neck than to stay a homosexual. John believed him. He believed everything they said to him. He drove back to Provo, told his roommates he was going to the laundromat, drove up Rock Canyon, laid out a blanket, and blew his brains out. What? Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Sam fared almost as badly as John. In 1981, after leaving a gay bar in San Francisco without any warning, he was attacked in a vicious anti-gay hate crime by two young men wielding a crowbar. He nearly died when they smashed his head in. Sam went through five major surgeries and $70,000 in plastic surgery to repiece his face together again. He was also blinded in one eye, which was replaced by a glass eye. For the people who beat him up, LDS. 
I'm not sure. I wouldn't be That'd surprised. Be but I, I didn't confirm or deny that fact. Oh my God. Then um, Connell O'Donovan says that he went to an affirmation meeting, again, the group of gay BYU students on campus. He went to a meeting in 1988 where a man showed up calling himself only David. He sat alone in the corner during our meeting and became extremely jittery when anyone approached him. I spoke with him, but he requested that I remain at least six feet in distance away from him. He then rolled up his shirt sleeves and showed me his arms. The deeply scarred skin on the inside of his arms looked like raw hamburger, and I almost vomited from the sight. He informed me that he'd participated in electric shock therapy at BYU in 1977 and had been allowed to turn up the voltage as high as he wanted to. The results were badly burned arms and a complete inability to come physically close to any male without him emotionally breaking down from the trauma. His homosexual desires were as strong as ever, but he was unable to touch another man, even for a simple hug. He had no heterosexual desires whatsoever, and he was constantly on the verge of suicide. David never returned to affirmation, and Connell suspected from his fragile emotional state that he did not survive his ordeal for much longer. And then he, uh, Connell also said that he met two lesbians in 1990 at the gay pride festivities in Salt Lake, who claimed that they had gone through electric shock therapy at BYU in the 1970s, but he wasn't able to conduct a formal interview. From my understanding, the reason there were so few men in this experiment was just because so few men were willing to say that they were gay. Yeah. My last story of students that went through this experience before I finish up um, with my interview with John, but... Another gay BYU student named Randy Smith went through aversion therapy at BYU in the late 1970s, but when it failed to make him heterosexual, he was excommunicated and expelled from the school. Disillusioned by his treatment by the church and school, in 1981, he organized a protest against the LDS Church during its semi-annual conference in October. After he got a legal permit to do so, he and 16 other protesters marched around Temple Square with signs and banners protesting the unethical treatment of gays by the Mormon church and then held a press conference calling for the end of aversion therapies. Almost all Mormons present simply ignored the vocal protest. So they were just like, <laughs> don't know, don't know you, don't want to listen. So that was a lot, I know, but I do just want to finish up. This is from the interview that Maddie and I had with Dr. Cameron in January of 2023 regarding his experience. I'm just going to hit a couple different things. Not everything is important to the topic at hand. We were just kind of like getting to know him as well. So one thing to know is that he had actually written a play called 14, which was in reference to his experience with the experiment. No um, way. I wish that would have come out. I know. And the thing is, is like, I asked him, I was like, do you, is there anywhere I could watch it? And he was like, no, I don't like to video theater because it takes the life out of it. And I was like, that makes sense. Like, I get it. The other yeah, title refers to the 14 men in the experiment and the fact that he kind of figured out that he was gay at 14. So it had to double meaning. Mm -hmm. um, and he actually did send me a copy of the play and it was really interesting, but I think hard for a lot of people to relate to, especially non-members. And when he had it performed, it was done in Ohio, actually. So Ohioans wouldn't know the fuck to do with that. <laughs> as an Ohioan. So what John's or what Dr. Cameron says is the fellow that conducted it, who was a really nice guy. I have nothing bad to say about him. He was a doctoral student. And this was the research for his dissertation, which was kind of which is kind of unusual. It was approved by the Department of Psychology at BYU. And I asked because earlier in the interview, I'd asked Dr. Cameron 
how he or what he was studying at BYU, how he ended up there. And he actually went initially to go be a painter, but he hated the art department. So he was trying to figure out what he wanted to do, ended up getting his degree in psychology. So I was like, did you get introduced to it because you got your degree in psychology? And he said, kind of remotely. I went to my professor for introduction to psychology. The psych department at the time was in the Smith Family Living Center. And I went to him and I asked him for help. I told him that I thought I might be homosexual and I asked him to help me so that I could be a good Mormon. He said that there was no such thing as homosexuality, that that behavior was the expression of another problem. Dr. Cameron said, what other problem? And the professor said, you know what it is. (laughs) Dr. Cameron said, no, I really don't. And the professor said, well, you need to find out what that is and then this will stop. Dr. Cameron said, how do I find out what that is? And it just went in a circle and it was very unhelpful. And he actually started to cry. And then the professor said to not cry in his office and gave me a contact of this other professor, which he couldn't remember the name of the professor and said, talk to him. They're doing an experiment that I don't agree with, but maybe this is what you want. And so we went to the other professor and he was advising the grad student, Max Ford McBride, on this experiment. And he hooked me up with it. And that's how we got into it. I wish that documentary was I know released me too. Like yeah, like where is all that footage? Mhm. Yeah. But I swear I watched something that aversion therapy was talked about. And I can't remember if it was like a murder mystery type thing yeah, or like if a it was doc- actually yeah. like a real life documentary. Yeah. I can't remember yeah. which it was, but I'll think about it and we'll get back to you. Yeah. Yeah, keep thank us posted. You. Keep us posted. Yeah, I will. Yeah, thank you. Dr. Cameron said that McBride, the grad student, told Dr. Cameron after it was all over that he was one of the most successful. And he was like, it didn't work on me. So I guess it didn't work for anybody. <laughs> and I was <laughs> like, how did how did they determine if you were the most successful? And he said, well, they do this test at the end. They do a test at the beginning about your reaction to stimulating things, uh, stimulating images. And then they do it again at the end. And it's like a questionnaire and related rating system. Yeah, he said he was probably one of the most successful. I was like, okay, cool. Then he, when I asked him more about it, he just sent me the dissertation, which was really interesting for me to read about from his perspective. And Dr. Cameron's actually been um, interviewed by several different publications. And he's like, I've I, there's like articles about me in like New Zealand. And I'm like, I don't even know what the hell happened. <laughs> but he said that he'd gotten interviewed for ABC And that they just like they took it the wrong way and didn't they like change what he said? Yeah, they they didn't want to actually. The thing is, is people would come to him and be like, and again, this is from my own words, not from his. They would come to him, want him to be pissed. And at this point, it was like years and years after. And clearly he'd gone through therapy. And so he was not as angry as they wanted him to be. And so then they would write it from a very angry perspective. And he was like, that's not what I said. That's not how I felt. Like, while they interviewed him. Of course, obviously, as we can see in the 1999 um, thing that he wrote to Connell O'Donovan, he did have a lot of trauma from that. But, you know, he worked after through that, him. he yeah, he's just a, a man that was in this experiment, really. He stopped giving interviews at that time. And then he said at, he was... 
trying to look into some information for his father who he was taking care of at the time. He's trying to look at uh, information about the church. I came across this bizarre website called Affirmation, which we know more about now. Mm-hmm. And he said, it's an organization for gay and lesbian Mormons who are trying to get the church to acknowledge them, which is just the biggest waste of time. I was like, yeah, it is. Dead. And I know. I was like, yeah, true. Yeah. And he said, I was fascinated and started reading this information. Connell O'Donovan had written this history of homosexuality at BYU And I read it and realized he was writing about me. He was talking about the experience and all the stuff surrounding it, like The Purge, again, which we'll reference in another episode or talk about. Dr. Cameron didn't even know about. He was just as shocked because it was kept so under wraps. And so then he contacted Connell, like we knew, um, and he thanked him for his article. Then a few months later, he got a call from a freelance reporter who was working on an article. She was writing this article about three kids who were being kicked out of BYU for homosexual behavior. She was trying to find history and she talked to Connell. He gave her Dr. Cameron's name. So she called and asked if she could interview me for the article. And I said no. But she kept bugging me and I kept saying no. Finally, she sent me this email from the BYU president at the time that there was no record of the experiment. And I'm like, really? Because it's in a dissertation over in the library about 500 feet from your office. (laughs) I was shocked. That was the turning point for me with the church because I came to understand that they lie. Oh, shit. And I'm like, yeah, fucking preach. And so um, he does say at a different part in our interview that he didn't even he came out. No, he left the church when he was like 26. And then he didn't even come out as like fully out gay because he was like my closet had a revolving door on it because I was in in the closet. I was out of the closet. I was in the closet. I was out of the closet. And he was like, I didn't fully come out until I was 34. So 12 years wow. after, you yeah. know, or I can't do math, whatever. <laughs> You're an adult. You've A while. Out. Yeah. Years. A long time. <laughs> anyway. And so that's actually how he ended up writing his play 14 is mm-hmm. because he got pissed again when this reporter reached out and said that the church was saying, we never did that therapy. We yeah. never allowed that to happen here. And he was like, no, you you did, actually. Mm, yeah. And I love when they say there's no proof because there's literal dissertation there's, yeah, proof. There's, there's literal proof. It's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, he, he definitely, it was like dark humor is kind of where he was coming from in this play. And he was like, yeah, people didn't really get it. They, they wanted to do like very like, oh, how awful. Oh, how sad. And then Dr. Cameron was like, you wrecked it because like it's supposed to be dark, cynical humor basically and everyone just ruined it and so they stopped he stopped allowing it to be performed because of that (laughs) and i will say to kind of end this on a happier note in terms (laughs) of dr cameron he is with his partner as of january 2023 he'd been he'd been with his partner for five years as far as i know they still are together and he said, I've literally waited my whole life for this guy. You know how everyone you meet in your life seems to fit some sort of template of someone else you've met in your life? Like, oh, you remind me of this person or that person. He said, I cannot do that with him. He's unlike anyone I've ever met. He's just completely unique for me. And we have been so, I guess, insular. We met before the pandemic and we just didn't meet anyone else. We've been so completely happy, just the two of us. It's been like a cap of this really incredibly long and wild journey. And I just love to hear that, like, despite this situation happening to him in his 20s, you know, here he is years and years after the fact. He's found happiness. He's worked through it. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of like this thing happened to me. But he's this whole complex human that 
had all these other experiences. Like when you look up his name, a lot of the things that pop up is about the electroshock therapy and not as much about his, I mean, he is a PhD, like Mm -hmm. he is a really artistic individual. And so that's kind of, it's sad that a lot of those things have kind of been lessened in terms of publicity because of the aversion therapy. But basically the whole thing of it is you can't stop being gay. You're going to be gay forever because (laughs) you were born that way and you can't be turned gay. The church is going to say that they can, but that's a lie. But you can't. You can't. And your moms are going to say that. (laughs) Yeah. Fuck your mom. Anyway, sorry. Take that out. (laughs) We'll see. Anyways. I don't know what's happening. Shut up. (laughs) Anyway. So how do we feel? After all that, that was so much information. I'm sorry. There was no way for me not to have that much information. No, that was like... Do we have any questions? I just, like, (laughs) for me, it's just so crazy how much the church covers up. Yeah. You know, because until today, I had no idea how much was truly covered up. (laughs) Yeah. They do a good job. No, yeah. literally. They, yeah. that Like, that's what's insane is that that's where people who are a part of the church's parents get the idea of slapping a happy face on top of all this crazy shit that happens. Yeah. Because that's what the church does. It's it's learned and taught, like, again and again. Because the church is like, you know, we've never said that. We've never done that. We've never, we don't know what you're talking about. And then it's like, here's all this proof. And they're like, no. Yeah, that's wrong. So do you think that um, members back in that year knew what was happening? Absolutely not. I doubt it. Yeah, no. I would be shocked. I wonder if there were any rumors going around at that time. Like, you know, it'd be interesting to ask like one of our parents about yeah that situation and see oh, what they no. know about it. I highly doubt it. My mom wasn't a member in uh, during this time. She was a convert and oh, right. she only I think she converted around the same time the experiment happened, so I don't think yeah. she would know. But also I'm from Ohio, so it's different. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like especially back then like the reason why so many people are leaving now and the reason that there's so much information out there is because we have the internet. Yeah. And back then it was just word know. of mouth. Yeah. And people don't talk about that shit. They're not like, oh, I'm gay and I'm going to do this study at BYU, like, while I'm at yeah. school. You know, they're not yeah. going to tell people that. Well, and also it's like, just like Boyd K. Packer said, he wouldn't, he gave a whole fucking 4,000 word <laughs> speech and used the word homosexual once. Because, okay. because the more you talk about it, it the is. more likely you are to be gay. Mm-hmm. You're going to convince yourself that you're gay. It's just so sad. It must have been so hard to live, like. During that time. I mean, it's hard to mm-hmm. live at any time. No, gay, for sure. But, but like back then, I know. But back yeah. then. Oof. Yeah. And especially when we talk about the, the homosexual purges that happened mm-hmm. to BYU. The shit that went down is wild. Yeah. Like. That, yeah. I just have like, I just have so much respect for my, my gay ancestors, you know. Mm-hmm. Your gay ancestors. <laughs> my gay ancestors. Just that was dumb. Yeah. No, I didn't like it. Okay. You said it too. I was trying it out. Um, anyway, anyway. <laughs> but yeah I just I'm just I mean we're getting married in 30 days yeah 
And it's, yeah, I mean, like, we wouldn't be <laughs> able to do that without all the people that came before. And, like, this mm-hmm. was before the AIDS crisis. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not even, that, that, that's the thing. A lot of the people that lived during this time, they, there's a good chance a lot of them didn't survive because of the AIDS crisis. Like, so many, that's why you don't see that many older LGBTQ plus individuals mm-hmm. is because, especially homosexual men, they died in the AIDS crisis. So you don't see as many men from that that time Mm -hmm. so it is crazy how much they went through and just like the shit (laughs) that (laughs) these individuals went through is horrific and cruel so yeah yeah anyway well thanks for listening because that was (laughs) a lot of info it was a lot of info but i have been looking forward to this episode for a while almost this whole year yeah um yeah it always made me laugh when we were like yeah we're gonna do it yeah, it's coming up we're next one <laughs> and then God. we just wouldn't transcribe anything and then it turned out to be this whole rabbit hole of yeah. shit i know i was so, like i can't even believe how much there is it was just crazy oh and there was um hold on i think there was one more note that i wanted to say actually okay i actually uh, when i sorry I was like, just one last thing. <laughs> so I went through every single person listed on the dissertation to like look up where they are now. Because I was I was hoping that one of them would have come out as gay. Because like, yeah. it's pretty gay to think about like, gay people. You like, know what I mean? Publicly, yeah. you mean? Or just like, well, I guess if you found it, it'd be public. Yeah, so. I was like, what other way? <laughs> uh, privately. <laughs> I, yeah, I know them. In, I know them personally. And they told me. No, um, I get what you're saying. That's funny, though. So I looked up each person. And um, the main professor that worked with uh, Max Ward McBride, Dr. Eugene Thorne, he was a BYU professor. He had done electroshock treatments as early as 1969. So he'd been an old hat at this before he even joined the dissertation board for the student. Like he was, he was, he received it or he was, no, he was. He was doing it. Yeah. Okay. And if you know anything about mental health treatment facilities in Utah, um, you probably have heard of Provo Canyon School, Mm -hmm. um, which they have a long history of abuse. And he was one of the co-founders. Oh, perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's, you know, I feel like that that says enough about who that person is. And there was another person on the board and I wrote, he seems like the absolute gayest one that I found. Dead. From his obituary, it said his name was Do- Dr. David G. Waite. And he died in September 2020. Rip. COVID. <laughs> anyway, so from his obituary, it said Dave was a champion of the oppressed and the misunderstood. His professional experience with counseling people in crisis led him to acceptance of people of all backgrounds. He was ahead of his time in opposing intolerance for the mentally ill prejudice against people of color and mistreatment of LGBTQ individuals. I thought that was funny. I couldn't really find anything specifically. I did go on a very long rabbit hole one night. Was I (laughs) inebriated? Yes. But I did find out that Mindy Gludhill has a distant relation to Max Ford McBride. Shut up. Oh my God. Yeah. Spicy. I did a lot of shit to find that out. It was a whole thing. Anyway. So. Okay. That was random. Um, um, but yeah, that guy that you were talking about, forgot his name. The Dave. Other doc- yeah. Dave, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
That sounds pretty gay. I know. And the also, oppressed. I wonder how he felt about his involvement of the study later in life. You know, given what his obituary said. Yeah. Like, how how was he a champion of the oppressed and the misunderstood? Mm-hmm. I, I want to believe it, but I just don't know the proof of it. Yeah. Given what I know is that he was a part of this board for the study. Um, hmm. Anyway, and I think the woman who typed up the <laughs> dissertation works in my neurologist's office. So that was Shut really up. random. Are you joking? Whoa. No. Oh, my God. I looked and I was like, hello? What? <laughs> so that was really neurologist? random. Not, not a neurologist. Neurologist's office? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, so that was everything that I had about, well, I mean, wow. as much as I could limit <laughs> and this is a long episode so yeah. um i appreciate you guys sticking with me of course but hopefully it was a really interesting mm-hmm. topic for you to thank to learn you for more having about. me here i'm of happy course. that you were gonna hang out and we were and we forced we, you to do this podcast. we had yeah we said <laughs> we have to record so um do you want to be on the podcast <laughs> so see but it's pretty it's pretty chill right yeah i, I love it i, I feel like look forward to doing it again yeah hell yeah it's i feel like people think it's gonna be like really intense it's kind of scary at first at first it it's really intimidating but then once you like you get used to it you do it for a little bit you just you just forget you just talk so yeah yeah Yeah. well anyway thank you so much sid and thank you for joining us for this episode of the fhe podcast as always follow us on instagram at fhe podcast and um i guess you can follow it on twitter not (laughs) refusing to call it x because that's stupid follow us on twitter at yeah. FHE Podcast. Again, really it's just stupid. really just do Instagram because I don't up, update Twitter that much. Yeah, but so just Instagram. Anyway, if you have any thoughts about this episode, would love to hear it. Um, again, if you want to do your own research, all the links and sources will be in the description of this episode. Thank you for putting in all of this work. Like you, <laughs> you really, I mean, you did a lot. Thank you. You did a ton you of research hard. on this. So thank, thank you. you for helping us learn more. Yeah. You're welcome. I mean, a lot of the stuff in the first part was from Connell O'Donovan. So thank you to Connell. Yeah. And he has, thanks, Con. He has some really <laughs> thanks, interesting things. Yeah. He has done a shit ton of research. Yeah. So I mean, thank fucking God. Yeah. Someone needs to Jesus do it. Christ. Sorry. How's it going over there? It's going good. <laughs> Dead. Anyway. Okay. Anyway. Yeah, that's all I was going to say. Okay. Well, anyway, thanks so much for joining us for this episode, and we'll see you next time. Adios, bachachas. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>